The reality we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything? Join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality, one topic at a time. This is Inquiries of Our Reality with Shane Jones. Hey guys, and welcome back to the mind-bending show that is Inquiries of Our Reality. But before we get into this, fascinating, mind-bending episode. Uh, We got to do the front of house stuff. And like I've mentioned the last few times, I'm going to try to do this as fast as possible for you guys because I'm sure you don't want to sit here and listen to this every single show. But if you don't mind reviewing the show or leaving a rating for the show, uh, definitely appreciate it. Anybody that is doing a five-star review, I will read it at some point on the show when I get a little bit built up here and there. Um, I obviously just recently did the one where I uh, touched base on everybody for the first year. So hopefully I can do it a little bit more frequently and uh, not have to do it such a front loaded end. And maybe I can do them like five at a time. But uh, another thing you can do is share the show with a friend. That's one way to definitely help the show grow and uh, always appreciate it. Uh, if you want to get updates on the show, you can uh, pop over to the social media and uh, come and have a conversation with me there. Uh, you can also have a conversation with me through the Telegram or the Discord and also have a conversation with some other awesome people in the process. Uh, if you guys are interested in being a guest on the show, if you're an author, researcher, experiencer, anything like like that, uh, feel free to shoot me an email and uh, I can get back to you as soon as I can. More often than not, it seems like that always seems to go to the spam or junk folder. So keep your eye out for that if you do shoot me a message through email. Um, if you haven't checked out Bizarre Encounters, uh, go and check out all the awesome stuff that we're doing over there. Uh, that show is always constantly expanding. Uh, we got a bunch of different like mini episode show things happening with that. So uh, go and keep updated on that. There's always a lot of fun stuff going on over there. Uh, if you want to support the show in general, this show, all the shows that I do, I put it all under one spot in the Open Minds Media Patreon. So there you get early access to all the different shows that I do. So uh, that's one way you can go and support the show. Uh, you can also donate to the show to help upgrade some equipment. Uh, Um, I'm hoping to eventually get a new laptop so I can get a little bit faster processing and I won't have so much lag on on certain episodes. So uh, if you guys don't mind doing that, I would definitely appreciate it. Uh, You can do that through Red Circle, uh, Venmo, Cash App, PayPal. Uh, You can also support the show by getting some merch for yourself. There uh, is the Open Minds Media merch store. Uh, All of the shows that I do, all available in one place, just like the Patreon. Try to put it all in one spot. Makes it easy for me. Makes it easy for you guys, of course, too. Uh, if you guys want to get some awesome cryptid-related, alien-related, or paranormal-related merchandise, uh, you can go check out Crypto Theology. Joe's always killing it over there with some awesome designs, always adding new stuff, so always worth going and checking out. And uh, everything that I've mentioned, of course, all available under the link tree. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and say it, but it's available down in the show description. So go and give some love and support to all the things that I do, and I appreciate you guys all for doing so. And with that, welcome okay. to the show, writer and researcher, Tim Tulka. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming today, man. Thank you for having me. So, like you said, uh, I'm a author and researcher, and uh, I have um, a UFO project where it's I research UFOs. Um, I started in Mexico. It's called Offworld Uf- Offworld UFO Report. And then I have a company called Free Word Associates, 
which is for producing creative projects, screenplays, uh, books, fiction and nonfiction, and I'm a journalist. So that's my spiel. <laughs> so um, assumably, most writers have been writers their whole life. So I'm assuming you started that at a young age, but uh, where did you kind of like make the jump into getting into like the UFO research in particular? It happened right before the pandemic. I left my job in San Francisco where I was a teacher of business courses and I took my writing, which had been moonlighting until then, uh, full time. I didn't know the pandemic was coming, but it was the perfect time. I relocated to Mexico City and after a few months in Mexico City, I started seeing UFOs uh, from my rooftop. I was living on the top of a mansion in a like, wealthy neighborhood. And, and it was in the middle of the city, but I started seeing these objects flying by. And it was super obvious and strange. Like I lived in San Francisco, New York, and D.C. Never seen objects like these. I'd seen drones. I knew how to recognize a drone. You know, uh, I saw drones a lot in San Francisco and I'd be like, oh, there's a little drone. Sometimes I would think I'd see a bird and be like, oh, a little drone. <laughs> I know how to identify a drone. And so I started seeing UFOs and I realized that there's a big volcano that's very active near Mexico City and that they were often headed in that direction. What's up? What's the name of the volcano offhand? So if anybody wants to look it up, they at least kind of know where they're looking. Popocatepetl. Popocatepetl. Popo. El Popo for short. And then uh, what does that translate to? Just if you, if you know offhand. It's the mountain that smokes. The mountain that smokes. So very uh, there's a really cool legend. Yeah, it's super. The legend of, is incredible. So there's two volcanoes right next to each other. Istasiwatl and Popocatepetl. Istasiwatl is the sleeping woman. The dormant volcano that Popocatepetl was in love with but he never got to consummate his love with Ista. And so he keeps the torch of love lit for all eternity. And it's a story of like chastity, you know, and waiting for your love. But it's also a story of, of an undying love. Now, uh, kind of going into the volcano, um, I'm not sure if you may know, have dug this far into it, but is there like a particular reason why it still continuously smokes? Great question. Um, its latest bout of activity has been going for about 28 years. So it was dormant for most of the 80s, I believe. And then in like 1996, it started to wake up. And then it started really popping off in like 2000. So, is so since then, it's been like really, really explosive. There's activity morning, noon and night. Is it uh, like fully erupted or is it all kind of just been like the buildup eruptions? Fully erupted, lava fountains, explosions. Like the thing is 18,000 feet tall and it covers the whole mountain with lava on occasion. Like just last month, there was an explosion that like it caused a flash, like, you know, thousands of, of feet tall and wide. And it covered the entire mountain with uh, incandescent material, like fireballs and, you know, glowing rocks. And anybody who would have been near would have been killed, for sure. And there are climbers that often go up on it, so uh, people die on occasion. 
Um, kind of going into like the eruption part of it, when you started noticing this uh, UFO activity, did it seem to be near when it was like active, or was there already like um like evidence of different things flying around it before it was starting to erupt? Well, so in terms of the like last thirty or forty years. It's kind of hard to say with any certainty because there wasn't monitoring technology like there is now. So the the monitoring really started to happen under the guise of the government. So the Mexican Disaster Agency and the like different government agencies put, put cameras up that would monitor 24 hours a day. And the cameras kept improving. There were times where it's been news stations that had the cameras up. So now there's like six, maybe six cameras on it at all times of varying quality. And so you can watch the eruption in like three or four different views. And uh, there are also just random people making videos here and there, sometimes like professional photographers, sometimes just people, you know, sightseeing. And so you just get a lot of like, analysis you get a lot of uh evidence to analyze and a lot of what we would say intelligence you know there's there's so much material that's available and um the government has experts probably dozens if not hundreds of people who through at the the, uh, the cinepred agency which is the center for disaster preparedness of Mexico. And they're doing a lot of studies on it, but they don't really tell you what's going on in terms of the correlation between the UFOs and the seismic and volcanic activity. But there's a lot of uh, rumors and speculation that the two are correlated. I would see UFOs around the volcano at all times, um, during the day, during the night, uh, there seems to be clusters of activity around dusk and dawn. So right before the sunrise and after the sunset, uh, there's kind of a spike in activity of, of objects, glowing objects coming and going from around the crater, but not always from the crater. Like sometimes they seem to come from other places. It's really hard to tell. So uh, before we get into the... Uh actual unidentified flying objects portion of it too heavy uh, a couple of questions kind of dating back to um like beforehand um so from your research at least have you found anything uh that may have been some kind of like local folklore about seeing flying objects around this volcano like in the past and then the other question that goes with that one is do you think that the cameras were set up for the intention of watching the volcanic activity for the sake of safety? Or do you think that they set the cameras up because there was weird phenomenon happening around it and they were trying to log that weird phenomenon? Great questions. Uh, so f your first question about the folklore and the history, there is folklore around the phenomena. Um, the Aztecs believed that the volcano was the living place of evil spirits of past rulers. And you could speculate that maybe they saw orbs coming and going from the area. And then that led to this belief about the evil spirits, but they were very superstitious about going on the volcano itself. I don't know if that was because of its 
ill temper uh, or because of the strange phenomena surrounding it. You got to wonder about that because a lot of the objects don't appear except in infrared. So it's hard to know what they were seeing, but some objects do appear that are visible to the naked, naked eye and with some frequency. So if the Aztecs were living in that area for a thousand years or more before um, uh, Cortez arrived and destroyed their city, uh, so Tenochtitlan, which was the city next to those two volcanoes, uh, was bigger than London when Cortez arrived in the uh, late 15th century. So um, presumably they had a lot of time to observe and form these beliefs and to become very fearful of uh, whatever was going on there. But Cortez took on the superstitions by summiting the volcano uh, against their advice to show them that there was uh, nothing to be afraid of. Then there's two different stories about what happened. Some people say that uh, the volcano erupted in wrath with fire and ice and drove his men away running for their lives. And other historians say that they summited without any problem and were just like, hey, what's the big deal? <laughs> <laughs> so your second question um, about the arrival of the uh, observation towers and the government attention. It's another one of those things where it's, it's hard to really tell. I would assume that the government had to know that there was strange phenomena happening around the volcano because there were police reports and there was a news report from uh, 1987 or 85, I want to say, where a camera caught a glowing orb flying into uh, what they call pyroclastic flows. So there's lava draining down the mountain and smoke coming off of it. And they see the camera catches a glowing orb that flies directly through the smoke. And I think like into the lava or something. And obviously that was very strange. Um, Drones back then, so you know what was doing that. It was very. Uh, it raised a lot of questions, and one of the reporters from that time was, you know, mercilessly uh, stigmatized and ridiculed for, you know, his whole career. He was blackballed, and all the scientists were like, "It's earthquake stress. What are you talking about? Aliens and shit. This is ridiculous." And then the government and the news agencies started to put more sophisticated cameras there and they started catching like really, really strange things. Uh, enormous objects, you know, that you couldn't explain away as any kind of uh, incandescent material that was falling from uh, an eruption. It didn't make any sense. And so a lot of the, the naysayers have kind of gone quiet over the years and they just don't even talk about it. And once in a while, the news will be like, oh, yeah, something weird flew into the volcano the other night. But it's not like cause for alarm because it doesn't pose any threat to the public. And uh, the only risk for people in the area is like people within like 15 kilometers around the mountain itself. 
And there's several villages that surround the mountain, but the eruptions rarely cause a problem for them. And even when Cinepred tells them to evacuate, they have their own local prophets that are like, no, don't worry. Popo's in a good mood. He's fine. Like he said, don't worry. He told me in a dream, you know, that we shouldn't worry. And he's like not angry with us and blah, blah, blah. Like they personalize the volcano and they still believe uh, that this is like a abode of, you know, gray aliens. The locals do. They even have like a festival where they dress up in silver and wear masks and dance around. And uh, why do they do that? You know, I was going to make reference to that, that if there was something at some point that told the ancient people to stay away from it, and there's still something that's almost like telepathically channeling to people that are there now that certain areas are going to be okay. That again, makes me kind of wonder if there's something there that's purposely just trying to keep people away from it. And they scare people to stay away from it, knowing that they may be in a spot in it, whether it's complete safety or they have full control over what what's happening with the volcano itself. Like maybe there's some form of technology they can control the flow of it. A lot of people in the area and in Mexico writ large believe that. They believe that this is a benevolent presence that controls the activity and the electromagnetism and the eruptions are modulated by the arrival of these objects. So uh, does all the folklore kind of relate back to like extraterrestrials or um, is there other still like modern day folklore that may kind of lead towards something else? Like maybe theoretically some type of people that may have lived in the area at some point that may have had some type of like advanced technology that kind of learned how to stay away from everybody by kind of secluding their own area off possibly? There's both actually. So there are rumors and like some random video footage of like these tall people, tall beings that uh, some people believe live like in the volcano or around it, but they're rarely seen. And when they are seen, they're moving super fast and it's, um, it's anomalous. But uh, curiously, this is something, the same myths and legends surround um, Mount Shasta in California. I was going to say, when you go into a lot of these ancient cultures, they make reference to the fact that they weren't the ones that built their structures and they just kind of came up on them. So especially in this, this fact, um, you know, if there was some type of great cataclysm and there was some type of advanced race that lived there, maybe they receded into the volcano for safety and they still live there. And then other inhabitants, when land was safe, was kind of taken over and they kind of just were like, all right, you guys can have that. And they just were playing that, you know, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain idea hanging out up in the volcano. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, In Mount Shasta's legends, these people are called the Lemurians and they live in the mountain and they have their own, you know, civilization. And I think you probably find this in a lot of uh, volcanic areas Um, like, you know, other groups that are, rumored to live in the space um there yeah there's supposed to be like an underground civil underwater civilization living uh outside of like the gulf coast of mexico and the same in italy they had like a underwater base or something that was um 
cleared with the Italian government for some amount of time, supposedly. But all of this is just kind of, you know, it's like the stuff that people say, and it's often repeated. Um, with uh, with Popocatapetl, a lot of people believe that it's like an extraterrestrial presence um, that uses it as a base. And it's like off limits to humanity. So it's pretty handy. And uh, the frequency of the objects that you see. Um, so around dawn every day, there's probably a dozen UFOs that are picked up by the cameras, at least. On certain days, a dozen will appear in like 10 minutes. And at, at some points, there'll be like four or five in one camera frame, you know? And then that's only the ones that you actually see. There's some that come down and you barely see it. It's just like a little disturbance in the, in the film or, you know, in the, on the screen, it's like this little, you just see like a light that's like, it comes in and out of, of visibility. And so it's possible that there's a lot more. And so if you multiply that times 300, you know, um, there could be thousands that, are coming and going from the volcano during the year. And if they're staying in the volcano for some amount of time, then you've got like basically a civilization, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I want to get into uh, some of the different types of objects that you've seen flying out of this, but uh, just to kind of throw in another out there theory, because I tend to like to do that on the show frequently. Sure. Um, so of course, like everybody kind of adapts into certain regions and certain different niches in nature. So there's, you know, of course, theories about like aquatic races, you know, throwing the label mermaid on it, but you know, there's a hundred other different names that you could go by for those, um, which again are also referenced in many different cultures. Uh, you have mm -hmm. like people that are kind of like the, the ones that can kind of fit in anywhere or like the middle ground. And then I've even heard, heard theories of like Sasquatch theoretically being something that was like came from the same place as all these other types of creatures, but they were adapted to kind of live in the mountains and up in like high altitudes. So that being said, mm -hmm. also who's to say that there wasn't some form of race that learned how to live in extreme temperatures and they adapted to live in extreme temperatures. And maybe there's another theoretical like type of race that would kind of, because assumably each there, there would be like a, like a niche for each element, assumably. So the only one that we haven't really dived too deep into is if something adapted to live inside of like hot temperatures. But of course, like you see animals do this in nature all the time. So who's to say that there isn't some type of like bipedal creature that may have adapted to be there. Yeah. I wouldn't doubt it. Um, I was trying to remember if I had learned recently about a type of bac bacteria that it could survive in lava. Uh, so the possibilities are endless and there's no way that we would know about it. You know, the volcanology as a discipline is really young. Um, it's not been something that is, uh, has a long history. So like the, the field has been revolutionized just in the last 50 years. And, uh, we don't really know what's going on inside the mountains. You know, it's, it's great mystery. Even understanding where the magma comes from is still like a work in progress. And there's no way that we can tap the energy source yet. They're trying to like drill uh, like geothermal wells and stuff in uh, Iceland, among other places. 
but in Mexico, for example, like the lava, like the, the volcano serves no human purpose at all. It's only something that they're trying to avoid, which is really curious because the power costs in Mexico City are going up quickly. And there's this enormous power source right outside the city that if only they could tap it, it would make their power costs go way down. And another really strange thing, there are all these caves around Popo and like lava tubes that could be, you know, millions of years old. And uh, sometimes I would see UFOs flying out of the city, like fast. Uh, my wife actually was doing a, uh, a time lapse of the camera during a rainstorm. And in slow motion, we, able to see, we were able to see objects flying down through the sky into the city and up that were moving so quickly that you couldn't see it with the unaided eye. You had to slow the footage down really, really slow. And they just would be like, and were they going like into the ground, like into the city? It makes no sense. Like according to our understanding of physics, you know, but maybe there's so much more going on that we're not able to perceive, you know, there could be a lot of uh, life living in the middle of the earth and we would have no way to know that are know? there are any uh like abduction stories in that city that people have made reference to going someplace like really hot or being inside of like caves or anything like that specifically good question um i'm not aware of any uh but i'm not very schooled in the stories that are available but there were a f there were a lot of, um, I mean, some of the pretty fundamental beliefs of the ancients in that area considered the like caves and basically the underground as like a underworld where there was another, you know, race and the hollow earth theory, you know, with uh, Agartha, is that what yep, it was called? Agartha. Yeah, um, that's like pretty universal and you know, Hades and all this, it does seem to have some kind of like resonance across the globe in ancient civilizations. So I, I think it really would make a lot of sense. You know, we've, we barely know about the deepest caves, you know, the caves that we found, you know, uh, there are like hundreds and hundreds of miles of caves just in the Yucatan Peninsula. And a lot of those are unknown, unmapped, you know, like, I think they could be teeming with life. And I think UFOs, uh, you know, whatever they are, they're, they're definitely coming, they're leaving these caves. That almost makes you wonder, too, if uh, it's a matter of they know what spots are safe inside of there. Two, they have some type of, like, underground location that you can link through these tunnels and they just know which tunnels are dormant and which tunnels they can fly through. Or going into another theory, um, I've heard a lot of theories about this like vibration that UFOs do where that's kind of like how they're able to move through things is because technically nothing really like fully touches them. 
So yeah. going off of that theory, I wonder if they're able to navigate through the lava because technically the lava is not actually ever touching the surface of the saucer. Exactly. And then once they no. get to their specific area, you know, if they're, you know, the extraterrestrials that we have an understanding of, like they're probably not going to be standing in lava. So they could have a location that's, you know, 30 miles underground somewhere in a totally different direction. And this just happens to be possibly even like a gas stop off on the way to yeah. going back to whatever the underground location is. That's very, uh, that stands to reason. And I hadn't really thought of it that way, but I mean, it could work either way because, um, Dr. Travis Taylor, the, uh, the guy from, uh, history channel, the secret of Skinwalker ranch, who's also on the UAP task force or whatever it's called now. Um, he said that they can move through matter space air and water and whatever's in front of them, it doesn't make a difference. They create like a little bubble mm -hmm. around their craft. And so uh, the way that these objects have been seen entering into the mountain or entering into the crater or flying into lava, you know, sulfurous gases, it would make a lot of sense that they're just flying through those surfaces that we see as solid, but that it's really strange uh, in the videos that some rare videos that have been captured uh, at Popocatapetl, uh, a object will fly into the mountain and disappear. And there's no like movement of earth at all. And it makes a lot of sense because they're often flying into and out of the crater, but the crater is not like a tunnel. The crater is like full of lava or it's like a narrow cave, you know, where like lava comes through. But I mean, we have no idea what the actual like tube below that is, but it's not something where it's just free from obstructions, you know? So they would need to uh, have some kind of special technology that protected them from that. Just to throw in some uh, other additional theories too, uh, there could be theoretically some type of like, you know, just to kind of relate to something we'd know, some type of like screen that looks like it's the surface of a mountain, but realistically it's just a big hole and they fly through it and it's not actually a solid surface. Or just another weird theory that I've been kind of bouncing around in my head about kind of relating to something else with the matter of... Uh, you know, different things theoretically living in the same plane as us in the same space, but we don't like make direct physical contact with them. And then I kind of bounce back to this whole idea of like particles and the fact that all particles are in constant motion. So you go into like UFOs, for example, and they say that they vibrate, of course, and you know, mm -hmm. that's vibration movement of all the different particles. Uh, what if they have some type of technology where, you know, if they're going to be directing towards a surface, they can hit this thing and their particles will vibrate in a different rate. And then it almost makes it so that you can be translucent and move through things. I think that may be what's happening. So we can kind of, uh, segue from what you were just saying to the types of objects that have been seen. There is one phase of these objects where it is really unclear what is going on, but there's something picked up by the cameras. I don't know why this happens, but you, you saw it in the documentary that I'm 
going to publish pretty soon, and I sent you an advanced uh, edit. The the mountain has some kind of energy going on. You know, there's probably like a high electromagnetic field, and an object will come out of the ground, and then just kind of like drift around in a zigzag pattern and it's like sort of translucent or like half invisible. But then there are these moments where it'll careen across the screen and it almost seems like it breaks in two or it's like in two places at once. Like it's phasing and out. They're, yeah. And that it's like, it's hard to describe because we don't have like an understanding of, of why this is happening, but there's uh, some kind of like, weak existence of solids and liquids and gases that these things are like still an object but just kind of floating around you wanted to say something oh i was gonna say just it made me think of this just a different concept kind of leading in with that too so of course there's so many particles that make something up but then you make reference to a lot of these uh different flying flying uh unidentified objects that they'll be one object and then they'll split into multiple objects right but mm-hmm. if they're yeah. translucent when they split into these multiple objects, again, going into some type of advanced technology, what if they have a way to, you take a solid mass, you hit this button, and you're able to separate the particles into five different variations of the particles. So then the particles themselves are thinner, they're translucent, and then they can pass through things. And then you could also theoretically, again, make it look like you have more uh, flying saucers, like if they're trying to use them for some type of like like war tactic, for example. And uh, that's yeah. how the particles phase is that rather than them vibrating at a different frequency, they split themselves into five it's to make it so that they're able to bounce through things because their the same size. mass isn't as thick too. Because it's, yeah. d- it's not as dense of a mass because there's not as many particles in one specific area. Yeah. Yeah, that would make, that would make some, like that seems a little bit logical uh, in, you know, some kind of like advanced particle physics that we have not discovered. Uh, if you're familiar with the Aguadilla UFO video shot by the Department of Homeland Security over Puerto Rico, uh, an object flies over the Puerto Rican airport in this coastal city. It's closed down because they, they've seen it coming on radar. And uh, a Homeland Security plane, surveillance plane, follows the object and captures it uh, on camera, flies into the ocean going like 100 miles an hour, doesn't make a splash. It goes underwater for a little while and pops up and splits into two equally sized objects. And then one of them goes underwater again and stays up for a little while and then they lose them. But the Scientific Coalition for UAP Studies discovered that the objects were the same mass. So it didn't like split in half. It created two of the same size objects that were the same as the original one. And so how that works, it maybe is it, it's something like you described, but the same kinds of things are being observed around the volcano. I haven't seen two objects split into, or one object become two. I've not seen that happen, and I've been observing for like three years, seeing like thousands of UFOs by now at that volcano. Uh, What we have seen are really, really, really large objects, 
like enormous objects like the size of um, much larger than a jet, maybe like the size of uh, an aircraft carrier. Um, not like the full mass of an aircraft carrier, but like a skinny, long object that's a thousand meters long and 600 meters, no, 600 feet, 600 feet across a thousand meters long flying. <laughs> so, um, we kind of got segued a little bit, but, uh, just for anybody that they've heard us make reference to all of these different types of, uh, UFOs that you've seen around it, but, uh, just to kind of give them like a rundown of all of them kind of side by side, uh, what, what are like the different types of like objects you've seen altogether that have, uh, been around this volcano in particular? Okay. So the, the biggest ones are these thousand meter long, you know, bars of fire, uh, that appear at night and, um, they've been seen like levitating around Popocatépetl or flying across over it or flying directly into the crater. This has only happened about three or four times. And then there are, uh, a next level that are like 50 to a hundred meters long and much thinner. These extra large objects are actually, you know, it's like a, a massive rectangle, but they're actually like quite wide as well. You know, it'd be like, um, maybe. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac burger, McNuggets or McCrispy sandwich, but you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Like 40 meters tall or, or more. So it's like, it's, you know, several stories in height, but then just this enormous length that is just like mind boggling. Uh, but then there's this, this next class of, of objects that are like large, but, you know, much, much, much smaller, like a fragment of the, the larger ones. And then there's like a bunch of variations of smaller ones and tiny ones that you can't really easily tell from the scale because the uh, the cameras are so far away from the volcano. Like the two main cameras are like f 
five and seven kilometers away. No, no, more like three and like five or six kilometers away. So they're showing you a view of the entire mountain and like the sky above it, you know? Mm. So it's like three or four kilometers across as the screen. And then the, the crater itself is a thousand meters. So you have to kind of measure what you're seeing based on those, you know, lengths. And uh, the really small ones, they could be the size of a car or they could be the size of like your apartment building. But you're not really sure because you're like, you know, looking at a really small. But what I'm interested in in the future is that UAPX or one of these, you know, private groups that are devoted to this and have a bunch of high tech equipment will go to one of these volcanoes that's so active with this with this presence and do some really concentrated monitoring because the cameras that the Mexican government and a few television stations have set up are just there to catch big explosions and they happen to catch all this activity but it's not like they're on the mountain itself zoomed in on an object that is flying down to the crater. You know, if they were doing that, they would have much higher resolution. We would know much more about their composition, their mass, their speed, you know, and exactly like where they go. Because when I'm watching from these two vantage points, you know, a few kilometers away, you can sometimes speculate that maybe this object just left the crater but it also may have come from behind the crater and you're just seeing it at that angle, you know? Mm -hmm. And so in my documentary, I show side by side views where you see objects either fly by the mountain or you see them fly into the mountain, but on the cameras, it's like a totally different angle from one to the other. So you don't really know where they're going. They could be going to the, the, the land by the mountain and flying into a cave. Or they could be landing in the crater, but it's really hard to tell. Uh, but to return to the the different objects, once you get to the like small objects, then there's this other group of beings or forms that appear. There's the uh, the rods, or what people have called the skyfish, uh, which are like these kind of. Um, half invisible presences, objects that appear in infrared and they fly super fast and they seem to be alive. Um, and then there's orbs that are like oblong shaped and they have like a little glow that comes off of them. Like it's almost like you're, you're watching like, uh, like a flash of light or like a little, um, like a glowing ball but it's so bright that it's like the sun. And so it creates like a little glare, you know, mm -hmm. the kind of glare that Mick West has talked so much about, you know, well, you don't know what's behind the glare, um, but there's something behind the glare. There's like this strange trajectory that these things take. There's two videos in particular, one that was shot in 2015 and one th shot in 2016 at moments when the volcano was erupting and all these orbs fly 
from under the camera, they do these like zigzags and then they either fly down into the earth, presumably, or up into the sky, but like dozens of them all at the same time and fast, like in formation. And uh, they fly completely different than the other UFOs. The other UFOs fly very fucking slow. So like I have to speed up the camera speed so that everybody's not falling asleep because the cam- the UFOs fly so slow at night. But then in the daytime, they fly so fast that you have to slow down the camera to like 10%. See, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with who Justin from Cryptids of the Corn is, but uh, he's been talking about this uh, whole thing about basically like organic um, UFOs. Um, Some of them Mm. theoretically could be like some form of like a mushroom descendant or some of them could be like these, it's almost like sea life that lives within the sky, possibly in like a different spectrum, but it kind of seems to have a lot of those, uh, those feelings to it, especially the ones you were saying that were like the sky fish. Um, it seems yeah. like they may be something that's within that same category and of course, different phenomenon happening on the same place that that could be something more linked to something that's more earthbound, but we just haven't really had an ability to understand yet. And there's also the extraterrestrial factor that comes into play in it. But, um, one thing I wanted to, I think uh, you're right. You're absolutely right about that. Like these ones are just something that we've not been able to perceive until now. And we're just becoming aware of it. And a lot of people are saying like, no, it's just a bird or a bat. And if you look at a bat or a bird flying like during the daytime, it sort of looks like that in like a, you know, um, a sped up uh, like camera where you just like you capture five seconds of flight and then you um, like pause it, you know, Mm. in like motion. But these ones only appear in infrared and they disappear sometimes. So it does kind of beg the question and they do seem to be organic uh, living presences, but where they go and where they come from, it's no way to know. So of course, with, uh, with your research and the presumably like uptake in UFO sightings around the world in general, um, this may be coming out, there may be more information by the time this comes out, but, uh, like what's the kind of your understanding and feeling behind this like recent phenomenon with like UFOs being shut down or being shot down? Well, first of all, I think it's incredibly reckless and uh, ad hoc. And um, I can only assume that the religious fanatics at the Pentagon have um, been pressuring uh, Biden, you know, we got to go and attack these things to let them know who's boss. And uh, these religious people in the Pentagon, they think this is a demonic power. So, of course, they want to go shoot down the demons, flying demons in their flying chariots. And uh, I think that Biden was very poorly advised to take action on that. I also think that um, NORAD making these excuses about, oh, well, we just opened up all the filters and now we're seeing all this stuff. No, it's such a lie. It's like a massive cover-up. Again, like a cover up on top of a cover up on top of a hoax on top of a, you know, an intelligence counterintelligence op. Like the government of the United States just is a pathological liar. Like they cannot tell the truth to save their li- save their lives. Uh, but once in a while, they give you some interesting facts. So um, 
the hexagon over Lake Huron will never be found. Um, and the, uh, the cylinder that fell into the sea near Alaska, that's never going to be found. And uh, it definitely wasn't a balloon like Chuck Schumer said. Chuck Schumer went out and just spouted disinformation to the American public. And it's like, how do you trust these people after they just go out and lie? Like, are they just supposed to be like the, the dupes of the Pentagon? Like Chuck Schumer disinformed the American public by saying they were balloons. When whoever heard of a cylindrical balloon? <laughs> that's like a really poor design for something that's going to be flying. And the pilots themselves, as well as this uh, general, said that they didn't understand how that these things stayed aloft. So the the government was like, uh, well, we don't understand how they were, how they were flying, uh, but this was much less advanced than the Chinese spy balloon. It's like, wait, you can't have a less advanced object that you don't understand how it flies you know like that makes no sense. Make any sense like if you just take like one thing that they said and measure it against another thing like none of it makes any fucking sense uh however i think that it's very notable that they uh they think these objects were shot down like normally in the history of of ufology when they fire on objects they don't fall out of the sky yeah, they like phase out or disappear, kind of going into the other things we were talking about earlier in the show that they could potentially have some kind of decoy or like phase out button. Exactly. I don't know if I believe that they were actually shot down. Um, I don't usually. Um, I'm not like a deep state theorist um, normally, and I am a, a Democrat. So. Um, I don't think that like Biden is a uh, hologram and that Trump is really the president. And I don't think that, uh, that like the U S government has like a secret cabal that um, is like the, you know, Illuminati, you know, controlled and that like all of this is just an illusion. Um, but I think it's pretty clear that they, they were lying about a lot of stuff with this story. And I don't know why. I guess it's just this like compulsive secrecy, which is not worth it. It doesn't serve the American public. It doesn't serve the government's goals. Um, so uh, I think they just picked three objects in North America and dispatched planes to them because probably some, you know, uh, some leading lights of the Pentagon thought that this was a good opportunity because uh, they couldn't get clearance to do this otherwise. And so they wanted to take advantage of the, you know, openness that they found of this like kind of government caught with the, their pants down with the Chinese spy balloon. And uh, they had, you know, some like leeway to pressure the president to go along with this. But now he's like really embarrassed you know, the fact that he took so long to address the American people, those know what to say because they don't have any news to report. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't know what it is. They don't have any wreckage yet, or we're not going to find out about it if they do. So he had to like say something. And I mean, at least he came off as like vaguely honest. So 
it's kind of hard to uh, understand their uh, doublespeak because the press secretary was like, well, there's no evidence of extraterrestrials just to tamp that explanation down. And it's like, well, wait, what would constitute evidence? So you're saying there's no dead aliens and there's no like phaser set on stun that we found on the, the ice. They didn't define what the evidence would be. So of course there's no fucking evidence because they didn't say what it would actually take to prove, you know, we don't know what, what would prove the president's, the presence of a, of an extraterrestrial other than these apocryphal stories of uh, crashed UFOs from the forties. Mm-hmm. But it goes back that, that far, you know, like uh, objects in our airspace for the last 70 years. Uh, objects escaping our air force for 70 years objects on radar falling off radar for 70 years so you notice that the uh, object that they caught in uh, lake huron they saw it initially over montana and it fell off radar which means most likely that it changed dimensions or it changed its phase, and they weren't able to track it anymore with the most powerful instruments that the government has. They didn't know where it went. I mean, I got a couple of theories myself on it personally. And the first one would be that one, I mean, it could be like a, like a cold war part two, where it's just different uh, governments trying out different technology and nobody really knows what belongs to who. So everybody's kind of at this awkward standstill and everybody's (laughs) being protective and trying to hold everything close to their chest. Uh, option two would be, you know, some trickle down starts to project Bluebeam, Um, cause you know, you can't just do an on scale full faked invasion. You'd have to kind of trickle into it. Um, but the most rational thing that I can personally come up with that I kind of feel like is probably my best bet on what I had to guess that it is, is, uh, they purposefully had the first one where everybody was like, Oh, it's a Chinese balloon. It's a Chinese, uh, so the intention with that is that everybody's thinking about these flying objects now, like they're some type of like uh, surveillance from other countries. So then if they normalize the whole concept of people seeing these weird objects flying in the sky and that their security or their, their uh, surveillance um, devices, then they can take the chance of trying to shoot down more UFOs and people aren't going to think about it as like extraterrestrial UFOs. They're going to think about it as oh, that's just another like security balloon and kind of just try to take people's thoughts and ideas away from the UFO phenomenon being extraterrestrial and place it more into a spectrum of it being other countries so that they can kind of further the research into it and not as many people are looking at the sky and, again, thinking that's extraterrestrial. That's, that could be really cl- really clever as a, uh, a way to distract. Um, in terms of the first hypothesis where it's like uh, – top secret black projects the the thing that i keep coming back to is that um one why is it that we never um get any idea or hint of these capabilities um in terms of uh patents pending so the defense industry operates based on patents. And so you can always kind of figure out like where relatively the technology is because they're applying for new patents and, you know, like plasma 
like flying plasma lights and shit like that to distract and uh, um, scare enemies is something that patents have been applied for now. Like they are able to put up illusory, illusory lights in the sky that would distract an enemy. Uh, that is patented. But why isn't there like a, you know, hypersonic um, underwater like transmedium craft that has a patent for it? Are there like, you know, black patents? I've never heard of a, a patent that you can't access you know, I mean, just I mean, it would kind of make sense. Potentially throw in there too. They could potentially be trying to make one piece of technology where it has a name that you're going to look at. You know, like like you were saying with like flying plasma, for example. So anybody who's checking through patents going to go, "Ooh, what's this?" And then they could have other pieces of technology that they purposely will give very boring names to, and they won't just mm-hmm. have it all together as a group idea. They'll have each little component of it as its own separate patent and own separate piece. So that when they put it together, mm. it creates something. But if you're just looking at it, you're almost looking at it, a pile of Legos. Like it doesn't make sense until yeah, you put it yeah. together, but it could fly under the radar yeah. by having boring names. Yeah. People need to start uh, looking into the stuff that has the most boring, lame possible name you could think of. And yeah. that might be something that yeah, might be exactly. a piece and component to something bigger. And maybe they change the name all the time you know, like they do with the UF, the UAP task force. Like they changed the names like three times in the last three years. Mm-hmm. It's like, you can't even catch up with them, you know, even secret um, government projects, every single time they get caught and are known about like MK ultra, whatever, yeah, like they they'll just say they ended the project, change the name, continue with something yeah. somewhere else. <laughs> exactly. So the, the idea of a foreign threat, um, are only two major, like obvious, adversaries are Russia and China and both Russia and China have like really impressive defense industry. You know, um, Russia, although it only has the GDP of like Italy has like really always punched above its weight in terms of its uh, defense tech, but not that far, you know, like they're not flying at the speed of sound underwater or um, having craft that can fly out of space into the sea. There's, their main um, focus seems to be trying to create things that are good for winter and cold regions because that's always, you know, the yeah. thing is you don't mess with Russia when, there's, when it's frozen or when it's cold or when there's winter yeah. climates. <laughs> yeah, same with China. Like China is doing a lot of like great uh, surveillance and submarine work, but they haven't even, I'm, I'm not even sure if they've got an aircraft carrier yet. See, kind of a funny thing that you're mentioning with this, it sounds like all of these are different pieces to a bigger thing. So kind of going into, again, a little bit conspiratorial, but, you know, some of these scientists for these countries could all be sharing the technology, making it look like they're enemies so that nobody's really putting stuff together, but they're all working on different components to kind of have like an all around force that could cover everything. Well, the thing is, if they did, you know, they would be showcasing it and using it to put us under their thumb. Unless they don't um, want to unveil it would, until they have it all set up and finished. Cause I mean, that may be a thing that they don't want people to be able to yeah. figure out how to take it apart until it's solid and put together. Like, you know, you don't show your cards until you're ready to play your hand. But then again, why would they be stealing our technology all the time? True. Like China has, has invested billions of dollars in um, trade secret theft. 
you know, like they're hackers, North Korea hackers as well. I'm sure they share information. Um, they have like moles in our technology companies and in our intelligence agencies. Uh, there was a mole, a Chinese mole recently discovered in the, uh, the FBI who had already worked for the CIA for like 15 or 20 years. And so why invest, you know, so much time and money into stealing technology that is, uh, if we are to understand like far inferior from the ones that they're developing in their black projects. It makes no sense. And in the US, uh, the Tic Tac, the idea that the Tic Tac was the top secret black project for the US, the amount of liability and uh, public outrage that would greet the US government if they destroyed a uh, F-18 and killed a pilot while testing a top secret black project over the Pacific ocean. It just wouldn't happen. You don't have like a double bind, like, you know, a test on your own pilots with your own top secret shit because the, the liability and the public outrage would, would make that, that administration be removed from office. Like everybody would be fired, you know, heads would roll. There would be lawsuits for a century. I mean, just a, just an idea to kind of throw in here. Um, one okay. could potentially be remotely flown, and it also could be the last model of the technology that they're working on, where they could have potentially been trying to just kind of see like what kind of damage it could take. Yeah. Um, the way that the the Tic Tac appeared at their cap point. The, that like one thing that the smartest people always come back to is like, how did it know that you, your cat point, you know, um, it just is, it boggles the mind, mm -hmm. you know, maybe it's a Russian creation that, you know, um, was already like deep in their communications infrastructure. Um, I mean, one thing is clear that, U.S., uh, US, China, and Russia have thoroughly um, penetrated each other's intelligence and security agencies. So there is very little that each one is doing that the others don't know about. Not so, to mention just the level of hacking and how it's continuously yeah. progressing. And the only way technology gets better is because somebody found a way to hack it and they had to find a new way to make it so it was even more impenetrable. So just off of that, anytime the technology gets updated as far as like the servers and systems go, assumably it's because somebody's hacked into it and stole information out of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that there will be a lot of uh, interesting information to come out of uh, the Navy. Once like a greater level of disclosure happens, I think the Navy submarines are going to reveal a lot of uh, mysterious information um there was a a guest on one of the uh like military uap podcasts recently who said that um during some classified mission on a submarine uh one of the like radar guys came out of his his, his radar room and said it flew by at the speed of sound underwater <laughs> something flew by a submarine at the speed of sound underwater. 
That and, almost uh, makes you uh, wonder too if theoretically it could have been going the speed of light if it was outside of water, but it had that resistance from the water, or if it's some type of crazy extraterrestrial thing like we were mentioning that has that vibrational frequency, it is traveling at the speed of sound and the water had no effect on it. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's like, it's, I don't have the physics degree, you know, or the understanding that to even like begin to analyze how a object flying by at that velocity would look or sound. Um, But there's another thing I could hit on with uh, Tom DeLong, he said that uh, according to some government officials, uh, there are UFOs in the sea that are in some kind of conflict with the UFOs on the moon. And uh, there are definitely UFOs on the moon. Um, I also did like a, so one of the funny, interesting projects that I worked on, uh, when I started first seeing UFOs and getting into the volcano, I was working for a, uh, paranormal filmmaker. And so I started writing and gathering information, uh, for his films. And I, we did one on the moon and I gathered all of the data and evidence that I could find of UFOs on the moon. And there are a lot of amateur astronomers that are catching really strange stuff, like flying out of the craters of the moon. I was going to see, I've seen uh, a lot of personal videos of that too, with people that have like, you know, the telescopes that can record. And there's, if you go on, if you go on YouTube, there's a plethora of them and you know, you always find some really good ones because you'll find them one day and then the next day you won't be able to find them anymore. And when it comes to the UFO phenomenon, it's always a good way to check yourself is if you want to see if something's real and really questionable, you post it on the internet and see how long it takes before it gets taken down. And if it never gets taken down, you yeah. probably don't have anything, but if it gets taken down, you probably got something. <laughs> what I use as kind of a rule of thumb with the UFO videos is that if it seems too good to be true, then it probably is. Um, I've seen a lot of UFO videos where I'm just like, no, I don't, I don't know about this one because it just is like, too high def uh the shit's doing like strange strange stuff that you've never seen another ufo do it's really hard to judge i've been fooled uh plenty of times um so i i have a hard time the the main thing that keeps me coming back to the volcano is that those cameras are not manipulated those are under the control of the government and you don't get government footage being like manipulated I think a lot of the good, the best UFO journalists like uh, Ross Coltart, he sticks with the military stuff because you know you're not getting um, deceived. You know, it almost makes you wonder how long it's going to be before they stop giving uh, public access to those uh, cameras around the volcanoes, unless they're purposely not doing that because then people would know there's a phenomenon for sure, and they're just trying to keep it for the aspect of like, you know, the safety factor, kind of like we were talking about, so you can kind of monitor like the volcanic. Um, eruptions and just different things happening. <laughs> yeah. But, um, I know you said you only had about an hour, so I guess, uh, we can start wrapping yeah. it up here and I would love to have you back on in the future, of course, but I always like to leave For it sure. on a high note. So, um, if you have any words of wisdom that you'd like to share with the listeners, uh, what would it be? I'd say, um, don't fight amongst yourselves. Um, a lot of people in the, the UFO community, if you want to call it that, are constantly um, hating on 
other people in the community and being like, he's a, you know, an attention hog or he's trying to like uh, push his channel. You know, um, I see this on Instagram. I see it on YouTube, all these people fighting amongst themselves. And then other people that are like, guys, guys, don't do this. Like you're discrediting the community, you know? And it's like, it's, everybody's going to do that. I guess you can't like stop them. But I think the best way for the subject to keep gaining legitimacy is for people to allow the debate to happen without it becoming acrimonious. You know, like there are going to be people like Mick West and they're going to be people who are gaslighting, you know, like they're going to say things that are patently absurd, like, oh, it's just a bumblebee or, you know, it's a, uh, a it's a, a weather balloon. Uh, <laughs> it's a cruise ship. One of the stupidest things I heard um, with the, the Turkey UFO um, was that it was a cruise ship. Like the cameraman couldn't identify a cruise ship. It's the most absurd thing. Like the guy was pointing a camera up at the sky like this, <laughs> like the angle, like it doesn't make any sense. You know, he's not looking at the horizon being like, it's a UFO. Like a cruise ship would be, you know, parked in his, like, I don't know. It's but lit this refraction. Is that, it bounces off the water and then it's in the sky. <laughs> like you, just, exactly. you have to pull to kind of try to try to come up with, this, with an actual explanation to make that work too. <laughs> exactly. And that's the thing is like when you have a person that's trying to gaslight you and I fall victim to this, you know, I get upset with people that offer like prosaic explanations that are obviously absurd, but it's better just to kind of let other people argue with them who have a cooler head, cooler heads will prevail. You know, when you can just kind of let it go, like I made some videos that really aggressively attacked McWest. Uh, and what did I gain by that? You know, nothing. Um, like there are always going to be people like McWest and McWest is actually really good at what he does. As much as I really don't like the guy, um, he does make some really good points sometimes and he has the respect of a lot of people, both um, in the media, in the scientific community. And he's not a scientist. He doesn't have a PhD. So um, take everything he says with a grain of salt, but at the same time, like uh, ceaselessly and angrily attacking the people who disagree with you it doesn't really like advance the cause as much as I enjoy the debate, like especially like hitting hard, you know, punching back. It's super fun, but I don't really think it like gets us forward, you know, like we need the scientific experts, you know, and the physicists to turn this over and like kick the tires, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's going to help us advance in the end, you know, people like, uh, Kevin Newth or Knuth, I'm not sure how to say his name. I think it's Newth. Um, he's a brilliant guy, but other physicists violently and angrily attack his analysis. And, uh, you know, that's on them, but like, don't allow yourself to be drawn in by the like foolishness, you know, just like, Watch and observe, 
and decide for yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, that's all you can do with most most things is collect the information yourself and then make your own observations. Because at the end of the day, like you can only make up your own mind. You can only determine what you think it is through your perception with the information given to you. You can't just go off of what other people tell you blindly. You have to come up with your own solutions and own explanations for things. But uh, exactly this uh, this one last thing. This documentary that I made, I believe it's going to be called uh, "It Came from the Crater," and there are some ideas that I put forth in this that uh, may be wrong. You know, people get really upset about the rods. They're like, it's bats, it's birds, it's bugs. I'm sure that it's a bug. It's like, I don't know. I'm not sure. And then there are these like mystery meteors. I think that there's like a, there are answers that we can find. But we need to attract the analysis of the best and brightest, you know, to like, apply their skills and knowledge um, because all we can do is put the stuff before the public and let them chew it apart, you know, chew it up and spit it out and make something new from it. But uh, I think that that's what is going to happen. And uh, I'm excited to get more people's opinions on what's happening at the volcano in Mexico. So uh, to kind of start to wrap up here too, um, do you have a, an idea of when exactly your documentary is going to come out for people that are interested in it? And uh, for anybody that's been interested in the conversation, uh, where can they come and find your work and where can they come and find you at? So I have a, I have a website for my writing, which is timtolka.com. And I have a, a blog on Substack and on Medium. And I write for Disruption Banking, which is a media outlet. So if you Google my name, all those things come up. On YouTube, Offworld UFO Report is uh, where my research is. That's my channel. And uh, that documentary on the volcano will probably be out next month. I'm still doing the finishing edits. And uh, hopefully I'm going to get on a lot more podcasts and, uh, and YouTube programs um, to talk about it. So I'd love to have you back on too, at some point, if you want to go even more in depth with it. And, uh, whenever it comes out, if anybody's listening to this later, um, if you don't mind sending me the link to it, I will add it into the show description. So if it, if you're listening to this after when this comes out, there should be a link down at the bottom so you guys can find it quick and easy. Excellent. Uh, Sounds good. I really appreciate you making the time for, uh, for the show and the conversation, man. I really enjoyed it. And, uh, I really appreciate your, uh, your in-depth views on things. Yeah, likewise. Uh, I think you got a lot of, uh, you advanced my thinking on this actually. Um, But uh, thanks for inviting me and thanks for uh, sharing your your thoughts, um, bold and innovative thinking. I appreciate that, man. I always like leaving it, leaving the show where the guests can leave with a feeling they like, feeling like they may have learned something too. And, uh, you know, the only way that we can really get further in depth with these different theories and things is if people are willing to kind of throw their ideas into the pot. So that's what I try to do around here. (laughs) Awesome. I agree wholeheartedly. If any of you guys would like to get a hold of me for any reason, uh, you can do so by emailing me at inquiries of all reality podcast at outlook.com. 
Uh, you can also shoot me a message on social media. That's another pretty fast way to get a hold of me, uh, primarily through Instagram. You can also go to the link tree, and up at the top, there is a submission form, which will go directly to my email. But like I always say, make sure you keep an eye out in your spam and your junk folder because for whatever reason, my emails always seem to go there. And I do respond to everybody who shoots me a message. So it's just a matter of when I reply, not a matter of if I'll reply. So keep an eye out. And uh, everything that I've mentioned, all available under the link tree. So go and check that out. L-I-N-K-T-R period E-E slash Increase of Our Reality Podcast. And with that, hope you guys enjoyed the show. And I'll catch you on the next one. Have a good night, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.